Blog Talk Radio. All right. We want to say greetings to everyone. Thank you all so much for uh, joining us today. My name is Brother Hawk Bolden, and as usual, we're grateful to the Lord to be able to come before you and share with you those things that God has uh, laid on our hearts to share. Amen. So we yesterday, I think we talked about uh, offense and um, how all of that plays, you know, when we're offended, how we can stop the blessings of God. And so today, the Lord has laid on my heart to, we're going to continue to talk, to talk about that. Uh, uh, we're going to continue to talk about that offense, and we're going to continue to talk about um um, how all of that plays a part in your life and what can happen when uh, you're offended and how people get offended. So today we're going to talk about the advantage of Satan and how basically offense is an advantage of Satan. So we're going to define that word advantage, and it means a condition or circumstance that puts one in a favorable or superior position. You see that. In other words, when you're talking about somebody that has an advantage, like say, for instance, uh, I can remember growing up and playing uh, basketball or, you know, special basketball or something like that, and we may play against someone. I may have played against someone that was older than me or someone may have played against me that was younger than me. And usually, uh, size, you represent that advantage, you know, the size of the player. And so, a lot of times they made up for it by uh, starting you off. Let's say, since you may have been going to 21 or playing 21 or going to 10, and they may start you off with five points because of the assumed advantage. And so that's the way it is. When you're talking about an advantage, you're talking about the the deck being stacked. You see that the deck is being stacked. In other words, that somebody starts off, the condition and the circumstances is just right for them to win over uh, or favorable for them to win. And so that is where offense comes in at. When you are walking around with offense in your heart, uh, you put Satan at an advantage over you, and you put yourself, at a disadvantage. You're automatically setting yourself up failure. You're automatically setting yourself up to lose when you walk around with offense, you see. And so uh, I'm going to read a scripture here real quick in the second chapter of Second Corinthians. And, of course, now, in of course, in the fifth chapter of First Corinthians, Paul dealt with the issue of this man who was sleeping with his father's wife or his stepmother. And Paul told them to put that man out of the church, put that wicked person from among you, and that's what they did. And so apparently they wrote Paul back and told Paul that this man had repented and wanted to come back to the church. And so here is Paul's response uh, to this. We're going to just start reading it at second chapter of Second Corinthians, uh, verse 8. It says, Wherefore I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. For this end, or in other words, for this cause, for this cause, also I did write, did I write, 
that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if ye forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sake forgave I it in the person of Christ. So he taught my forgiveness and the idea of not being offended. Now, here's the here's the issue. This man was actually sleeping with his stepmother, his own father's wife. And Paul wrote to them and told them to put the man out of the church. And it's easy for people to do things like that because it's easy for people to get offended sometimes. But here's what Paul is saying in this, in this second epistle that he wrote to them. Hey, you were willing to put this man out of the church because of this action. But are you willing now to forgive this man now that he has asked for forgiveness? Are you willing to forgive this man and take him back into the church? You see that? Why? Because forgiveness requires you overlooking past offenses that you have. You see that? And so how do you know the difference there? How do you know, you see? A lot of times people can't forgive because they can't get over offense. It doesn't matter how long ago it was, how dare you, and I, you know, especially when they think with a self-righteous mind that they would never do anything like that. I'd never sleep with my with my um father's mother. I never sleep with my own stepmother. And so people can take on their self-righteous attitude and then when about what it is that they wouldn't do because somebody else has done it and they get offended because somebody actually had the nerve to do that or do whatever, you see. And when it comes to the person being restored, they don't know how to restore because they're still offended. And so Paul here is saying, you have to forgive. Now, this I want you to prove your love. Now, that's why. Because love, where love, where the love of God is, it's impossible for offense to continue there. You see that? Not saying that something won't catch you off guard. Not saying that you won't have to cast down thoughts. But when the love of God is there, you it's impossible for you to continue to walk in offense. So he's telling them, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgave also. I forgive also, for if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sake forgave I it in the person of Christ. Everybody see? So he's talking about how you forgive. You forgive in the person of Christ, not based on your own feelings, not I just can't get over it, I can't believe that they would do something like that. You have to look at things, in other words, from the mindset and the eyesight of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ can sing it all. He says, all manner of sin shall be forgiven of men except one. All manner of sin shall be given except one. That's blasphemy the Holy Ghost. That's the only sin that God himself will not forgive. You, you won't be forgiven for that on this side or in the world to come, he says. But he says all manner. So, it, so he doesn't sin at all. All manner of sin is forgivable except that one. You see that? So look at what he says that when, after he's talking about forgiveness. Look at what he says, verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So what is an advantage? You got a basketball team, but three of your players are injured. That's an advantage for the other team when three of your players are injured. So if you think about it in this manner, that when you walking around with offense, you're automatically not walking around with the whole armor of God on you. You're automatically not suited up and ready to ready for war. You're automatically taking 
some of your players out of the game. You're automatically injuring yourself. And so when you walk around with offense, Satan has an advantage. And he's going to win. A lot of times what wears a lot of you believers out is you're trying to fight Satan with offense in your heart toward people. And Satan, now you may not be aware of how much of an advantage Satan has over you, but I'm telling you, he's very much aware of it. And all he has to do, every time you think you're getting over something, all he has to do is send somebody your way or send that same person your way and start running these thoughts through your mind about this person or something happens between you and this person, and now you're right back in the same mess you were in before. Offended all over again. Why? Satan won't Satan will stop fighting you, you know, in, in the way that he's wanting to fight you. He will stop fighting you if he sees that you're getting over offense and then try to bring offense back. So let's say this is you're that person, you're offended at something, and you're not getting anywhere in the Lord and you can see that. You heard the message from yesterday and you've gotten over it and you've prayed and you've made it right. And and so Satan stops fighting you in the realm that he was fighting you in. Once he sees the offense is gone, why? Because now I need to go. I need to make sure that offense comes back. I need to make sure. See, when I was playing football, uh, we we played a uh, when we played teams, we looked at the injuries that that team had, what injuries that star players, what what it was on those star players that was vulnerable. If they if we knew we they had bad knees, then guess what? We were going for your knees. Our object was to take that person out of the game. Forget about playing the rest of them. If we could just take that star that's scoring six touchdowns every game, if we could take them out of the game, we can win. And so, yes, we played the other ten on the team, of course, but our main goal was let's get that one. Let's put fear in him. Let's make sure he's not even wanting to run past our line. Once we did that, then the rest of the team was going to buckle. Why? Because they were depending on him. And so that's what Satan does. He plants offense there. If you bite on it, if you grab a hold of it, it's yours. But then once he sees the Lord is beginning to work on you to remove that offense, to let go of that offense, then the game switches. Now i got to put that offense back because that is my advantage. You see that? That's my advantage. That's the reason why some of you go through cycles. You think about it. If you're one of those people that's offended all the time, you're going to be offended all the time until the Lord breaks that in your life. That's why you, you people like that, they get mad at everybody. Somebody, somewhere, everywhere they live, somebody's going to do them wrong. Somebody's going to make them mad. They're not going to be able to get over it. No matter where they go, no matter what job they have, somebody is going to offend them. Why? Because offense is there to begin with, and it's the, it, it, it is the advantage of Satan that he has over your life. Forget about getting to you through your children. Forget about getting to you through your spouse. All I got to do is make sure offense is there, and you'll be having it out with everybody, no matter who it is. You see that? So that's the way he works. So look at what that verse 11 says. Let Satan just get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, what did the Lord say? What did, the, what did we read about what the Lord said yesterday in the 11th chapter of the book of Matthew? Blessed is he who is not offended in me. Now, if you think of it this way, offense, 
It's designed to keep you from receiving what it is God has for you. It's designed to keep you from being victorious and walking by faith and living by faith. It is designed to keep you from living that way. And so if you think of offense as that thing that's for sure, if it's in your life, there's no way you can win, you'd be in a hurry to get it out of your life. Let's go look at that real quick. The fifth chapter of the book of Second Kings. We're still talking about the advantage now, the advantage of Satan. So the fifth chapter of the, uh, of the book of Second Kings, and we're going to start reading at verse uh, 1. It says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the kingdom, was a great man with his master and honorable. Everybody see that? He was a great man with who? His master. In other words, king. Honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. We'll bring this out in a little bit. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captives out of the land of Israel, a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria? For he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now, when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant, to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God? To kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me, send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he speaketh the quarrel against me. So what what the king of what the king of Israel is thinking is he's trying to fight with me. He's trying to start a war with me. And so this is the way he's trying to he's gonna start it. He wants me to heal this man, his the captain of his host. And when I can't do it, he's going to blame me for it, and then he's going to make war with me. Now, apparently, this army had been very successful, and we read in the first verse there that God himself was the one that had given this, the might to this army, to the Syrian army, through Naaman. And so the Israelites, even though they were the children of God at that time, they understood that this is an awesome army. And the king of Israel, he thinks. This is a way he's trying to start a, pick a fight with me. He's just trying to pick a fight. We're going to keep reading. Verse 8, and it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore, in other words, why hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Now, I don't think it's a lot of times in the Bible you don't read about prophets calling themselves prophets. And I believe it's very important that when we read that and we see a prophet referring to himself as a prophet, that we know that there's a reason for that. It goes back to what we talked about yesterday. He that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And so here, Elijah is saying, why are you all upset about this, king? 
Send the man to me. He'll know that there's a prophet in Israel when it's all said and done. So let's read verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Everybody see that? Now you keep in mind, Naaman is a mighty man. He is the captain of the host. He is the general. In other words, what we would call the general of the military of Syria, which was at that time the most powerful nation in the world. And so Elisha comes, so Naaman comes to the doorstep with all of the gifts that he had, which is why he came with several horses. He's at the door, at the very door of Elisha. Verse 10, and Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. So Elisha didn't even go to the door to greet the man. There he is at Elisha's door, at his house. And Elisha didn't even go greet the man. Elisha sent one of a messenger to him saying, Go go wash in the river Jordan seven times, and your flesh will come again to you. You'll be clean. Let's read verse 11. But Naaman was wroth, in other words, angry, and went away and said, Behold, I thought. You see those expectations there? That's what we get trapped at. Our thoughts. You see that? Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farquhar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. He had in his mind how he was going to go, and that set him up to get offended. And I'm telling you, that's one of the worst things you can do, to have in your mind how you think it's going to go. You set yourself up to be offended. When you can't yield to the things of God, you set yourself up to be offended. You see that? So he went away in a rage. He made a decision. You know what? Forget you, Elisha. I'll go home and just live with this leprosy. You don't want to do things the way I want to do them, then you know what? I'm gone. Now, don't think for one minute his position in that army didn't play a part in that. He thought he was some great man, and I'm sure folks were always running around treating him like a celebrity, which he probably was a celebrity in his town, in his country. And so I'm sure people were just greeting him and bowing to him when they saw him walk the streets, and now he comes to this man of God that ain't concerned with his reputation at all. Don't care. And listen, that's where a prophet will be. They don't care about how you were in the world, how much money you how much money you got, what your reputation is, what your position is on the job, what house you live in, what car you drive, that don't mean a thing. And I'm telling you, a lot of times people even in church try to use their natural status to gain influence. And then they get mad when people when Ministers of the Lord aren't biting on that, aren't concerned with that. You see that? Faith is your currency in heaven. Faith is not how much money you got. That that has nothing to do with who you are in the Lord. Your faith is what concerns the man of God. You see that? 
In other words, you're willing to be obedient. Your willingness to be obedient. So verse 13, and his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? See, in other words, he wanted a show. He wanted a show. He wanted Elisha to come out and strike him and Oh, just heaven to just, but Elisha, you know, a lot of times that's what people expect, and God don't show up the way they expect, and then they get mad and just think, well, God didn't show up. You see? Look at what this says there. Then it says, how much rather then when he said to thee, wash and be clean? Then when he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So you see, he almost missed his blessing because he had these expectations. But let me let make this clear. Why why did he almost miss his blessing? Because he was offended. He expected something to be a certain way. He expected it to happen a certain way, and when it didn't happen that way, he got mad about it and went on about his business until finally his servants came and talked with him. Now, look at what that says. His servants came near. So let's go back to what we were, what we were going to touch on earlier. What was it in Naaman? Because, see, as I said before, he was on, no doubt, he got offended at, at Elijah. But, again, when you can get offended at somebody, somebody, it's because offense is already there. And let me explain what happened here. Naaman, no matter how great of a warrior, no matter how great of a general and a captain of the host of the, of the king of Syria he was, he was still a leper. Look at what that says, the last part of verse 1. But. He was a leper. So that means lepers were incurable at that time, and they were also contagious. And so people stayed away from lepers. If you didn't want leprosy, you didn't go around somebody that had it. And so here's this great, mighty man who's a general in the, and the captain of the host of, of, of the king of Syria, the top military person, regardless of his mind, regardless of how much of a genius he is at war, he still has to deal with the conflict of leprosy. He still has to yell, unclean, unclean, when he goes around people. That was just one thing that he could not get past. And so he had to deal with people not only honoring him, but also keeping their distance from him. No matter how, what kind of conversation they had, the same mouth that said, you know, that that Naaman, God is definitely with him. Look at the way he delivers this nation from its enemies. That same mouth will say, but you know what? He still has leprosy. He's not welcome to sit at my, he's not welcome to come in my home because I don't want to get it and I don't want my children to get it. So, when he shows up at Elisha's door, knocking, and Elisha don't come to the door, what do you think the devil is playing on his mind? Oh, Elisha, just like everybody else. He can't get over the fact that you got leprosy. You see how those things from his past affected him? Offense was already on the inside of him. On, on the inside of him. Look at what he said in verse eleven. Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place. He wanted Elisha to touch him. Not only just come to the door and pronounce blessings, but he wanted Elisha to actually touch him as a leper. 
in other words, to to risk himself being exposed to that. And you remember what I said yesterday, how people set themselves up with their offering by what they expect? You see that? That's what happened here. He wanted Elisha to make up for all of the times he was talked about as being a leper. That just that that no matter how much of a smart man he was naturally, so he was still a leper, and it was something that was present with him and with him all the time. And so he got offended at Elisha because Elisha didn't come and strike his hand over the place. And you know, and in his mind, I'm sure it meant to him. You know what? You just like everybody else. You fake. You false. You ain't no real prophet. You see that? <laughs> That's what offense will do. It will find problems when there is no problem. It will find issues when there is no issue. And it's really based off of your past experiences, those things that you could not let go of, those things that you could not forgive. You see that? So what was the real reason? Elisha didn't go out and wasn't really bothered with Naaman. Like, you know, cause again, now, men of God aren't concerned with people's status. They don't care how great you are. That, that doesn't matter to them. It's, they're more concerned with who you are in the kingdom of God, you know. So they're not concerned with status or anything like that. So let's go to the sixth chapter of the book of Kings, Second Kings. And we're going to read at verse 8. Then the king of who? Syria. What did he do? Warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God, who? Elisha, said unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. Now, this is something that the Lord was just pointing out to me this morning. That's the reason why Elisha didn't care to be in Naaman's company, not because he had leprosy, but Elisha knew what was in the heart of Naaman, what was going to happen with the Syrian army, that he was responsible for healing a man that was going to turn right around and come against his nation, Israel. You see that? Prophets know what are, what's in the hearts of people, and they act accordingly. So although Naaman may have been glad that he was recovered of this leprosy, he turned right around, took that health, and came against Israel. You see that? And so why am I pointing this out? Because the things that you are offended by usually are based on lies. It's usually you have to pray and ask the Lord to open your eyes about certain things. You see that? Normally the things that people are offended by are based on lies, based on past experiences. And the devil has a way of making things look a certain way, and they're really not that way. And so that's the reason why Elisha wasn't really trying to be friends with him. Because he knew you're an enemy of this nation. You're going to come against this nation. And regardless of who I am in the Lord, I'm still an Israelite. And, we, of course, you keep reading the story there. You'll see that's when the chariots of fire appeared and, and you know, and God blinded. Uh, the, the, the the Syrian soldiers on behalf of Elisha when they came against him, and Elisha marched, marched them on into the city and fed them and set them free. And from that day forward, they didn't come in, according to the word of God, they didn't come anymore into the land of Israel. You see that? 
But Elisha knew that this was going to take place. That's why he wasn't trying to be friends with Naaman. So Naaman had it wrong. Naaman had it backwards. In Naaman's mind, you don't want to be bothered with me. You don't want to come lay hands on me because you're afraid you're going to get what I've got. You just like everybody else. And really what it was, it was something completely different. You see that? It was something completely different. Naaman had set himself up. Satan had an advantage over Naaman because of the offense he had behind being a leper. And it almost cost him being delivered from that leprosy. So let me just share a story. Let me just share a story with you all just real briefly. I, when I was in the Navy, I was an acquaintance, uh, uh, acquaintance of a young man who was from Louisiana. Now, we were both stationed in, uh, both in California at the same time. He was in the Navy as well at one time, and it was just we were hanging around the same group of people. <clears throat> and so some years ago, I think around 2002 and 2003, he came on my mind real heavy. This was after I got the Navy and I hadn't dealt with them, you know, him, all the people that he was with at that time. I hadn't dealt with them for years. But he came on my mind, and I tried to look him up, and I couldn't find him. And so I think it was sometime last year I looked him up, finally found him. I found that he had died. <clears throat> he was killed, shot and killed. Um, this, the cops, from what I had read, the cops that came to his house, uh, to serve him, I guess, with to do something with some parking tickets. It had something to do with parking tickets. But he took off running, and he went into his ceiling. Now, they stayed in an apartment, an apartment complex. Apparently, all these apartments were connected. He went into his ceiling and tried to escape that way and apparently had crossed the threshold where he was in the ceiling but standing over his next-door neighbor's apartment. And I guess he made a misstep, and he ended up falling through the ceiling into this woman's apartment. She's a single mother, this woman. Fell into her apartment right in the doorway of her bathroom, and she was in the bathroom at the time. So if you can imagine, he must have dropped about 10 feet or so into her apartment trying to get away from some cops. In the doorway of her apartment, she crossed over him, ran to her bedroom, got a gun, shot him in the neck as he fled because he jumped up and tried to run off, you know, because he wasn't there to do any harm to her. He was just trying to get away from the police officers. She shot him in the neck, shot him, and he was hitting the neck. He ran back next door through the front door back to his apartment because he knew he had been shot and he collapsed in his wife's arms. And the last thing he said was, I love you. And he passed out, and she was holding the the wound, you know, putting pressure on it to stop the bleeding. And the cops, when they, the cops, when they saw him run over there and, and that she was holding him like that and, and, you know, putting pressure on the wound, they put, according to her, they put a gun on her and told her to let him go. So she let him go. They took him in the ambulance, and he bled out. He bled to death. I thought that that was a sad way to go. 
And the way that I found out he had died was I knew what town he was from in my in my home state. And so I put his name in and I put his hometown in and I found his grandfather's obituary. And on his grandfather's obituary, it had that he had passed away, that this was his grandson and that he had passed away already. So you may wonder, well, what does this story have to do with advantage of Satan? In other words, offense. Well, what took place before this was this guy who I'm talking about, he was thuggish, I guess you could say, and he had at some point broke into this woman's apartment next door to where they live. And the way he would do it is he would climb up into the ceiling and go over and go down through her loft or whatever, go down through her attic and, and, and get to her things and steal her stuff. Now, he was doing it while she wasn't there. And what happened was she found out, you know, that he was the one that was coming in her apartment stealing while she was at work. So she bought a gun. She went and filed charges, you know, uh, you know, made a police report and bought a gun. Before then, she didn't have a gun. Now, she was a single mother with children. She felt like she needed to protect herself. So she bought a gun for the purpose of protecting herself. And so what happened? A few months later, he's running from the cops. He's not even thinking about robbing her. He's just trying to get away from them. And he ends up dropping over in her ceiling, dropping right there in front of the bathroom where she is. And he ends up getting killed by the same gun that she had bought to protect herself from him. Months later, what am I saying? That is how it happens when you have offense. You have offense way back there somewhere, and you hold on to it. You don't deal with it. You don't deal with it. And then you just keep living, and before you know it, that offense catches you off guard. It, 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 it is a setup from Satan. Had he not been stealing from this lady, robbing her while she was at work, she would not have felt the need to get a gun. But she felt the need to get a gun to protect herself. And and it's amazing that at the time when he's not even thinking about robbing her, he still ends up getting killed by her, fleeing from something else. And that's what offense will do. You can get offended at somebody and, and hold that offense from years ago. You keep living, keep living, eventually you'll get married. That offense will carry over into that marriage. That offense will carry over into your workplace. It is all a setup from Satan. It is his advantage that he has over you. And it offense, you can't die and go to heaven with offense because eventually it will catch up with you. Eventually Satan will be victorious over you as long as you're holding offense. He will set you up for the coup de what we used to call the coup de grace later on. In other words, the grand finale. Grand finale. You're holding on to it now. You don't see anything wrong with it. It's just me and I got a right to be offended. And later on, you blow up. Later on, you cross a bridge that you can't get back across because of that offense. See, that's what happened to my old acquaintance there. He, he, he did something he shouldn't have done. And it came back to bite him later on. You see that? It came back to bite him. This woman bought a gun for him and for anybody else that was going to break into her apartment. 
Even though he wasn't breaking into her apartment while she was home, I guess she felt like, well, you know, if you're that bold, I'm just going to be ready just in case. And so there he was. He dropped down out of her ceiling onto the floor and took off running. And he, she shot him while he was trying to get away from her. He wasn't trying to hurt her, wasn't trying to harm her, but you know what? He had set himself up for that to be his final thing in life. Don't you set yourself up by holding on to offense. You let go of it and ask God to forgive you for having it in the first place so that you can continue to grow in him. Amen. We want to say thank you all for joining us today. We pray that something was said that has been a blessing to you. And we look forward to sharing more of God's word with you in the future. Have a blessed day.